Amen. All right. Take uh, your handout. You should find that in your bulletin. want to uh, preach a message I've entitled, Judge Not. Dave, can I have just a little more, just a little bit? I'm struggling a little bit with my voice, the air conditioner at the hotel that uh, we were in. We're continuing uh, in our series in Luke's Gospel, the Gospel of Certainty. Dr. Luke, the beloved physician who wrote this, Judge not. Well, you know, from time to time, you'll hear it said of a famous person. Uh, he never forgot uh, where he came from. Isn't that right? From time to time, you'll hear that. They never forgot. Maybe you're thinking of somebody uh, in your mind that uh, uh, was from your little neck of the woods and uh, left your area and went out and made good. Made good. We know what that means, right? Made good. Made it big. And they never forgot that little village, that little borough, that little neighborhood, that little school. And they often uh, uh, speak highly of it, and they remember their roots. I remember that's uh, one, one of the reasons Lucille Ball of I Love Lucy was, uh, was dearly loved. She was truly a funny woman. A lot of you don't know who she is, but some of you my age or around or older uh, laughed and laughed when, when, when humor and, and comedic uh, comedy wasn't uh, sexual, as a lot of times it's filthy and all that. Hers was not. It was pure comedy. But she never forgot that she came from Jamestown, New York, and oftentimes it would work its way into the script. Well, little Jamestown, New York, there in western New York, loved her for it. They loved the Lucille Ball and Ricky Ricardo. Remember that? And her silly antics and all of that. Jamestown, New York. Ronald Reagan, I remember when he ran for the presidency, reading some of his books, never uh, ceased to, tea, uh, to talk about the little town, I believe it was in Iowa, and the little college, Eureka Springs or Eureka College that he went to. Unheard count, but he often spoke of it, and they loved him for it because uh, there was a guy that made it big, B-level B movies, governor of California, president of the United States. But he talked about his little beginnings. Never forgot, never, never forgot where he came from. And people loved him for it. Perhaps you can think of people like that. Maybe you're a, you know, you're a big shot now, and, and that's you. You, know? you remember back, and people love you for that. People love that. They, they love it when a person of renown remembers the humble circumstances of his beginning. Somebody is unhappy there. <laughs> All right. Well, in the, midst, in the midst of the Sermon on the Plain, and I, we already went through and taught in Matthew 6 how this is not the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, geographically, and it's a different place, although like a good itinerant minister... And Michael, you would know what this is. Oftentimes you'll use similar messages in similar places, though not exactly the same. And that's what the Lord is doing here. This is not the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Plain. He's speaking to his disciples. And Jesus warns us in our text this morning as believers to never forget our origins. Not that you're a, uh, perhaps a United States citizen or resident of the U.S. He's not referring to that. But he's saying, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the pit from wherein you were dug, as the prophet puts it. Don't forget that you were a, a sinner under judgment, born that way and lost until the grace of God visited you. Never, ever, ever forget that. Keep that at the forefront of your thinking. You ought to thank the Lord for it every single day and often through the day. And that will bring you contrition and humility. And it will change the, the way, the lenses that you look at others around you. Never, ever forget the pit from wherein you came and from where I came. Never. We were by birth, by nature, sons of wrath, Ephesians 2. Well, we are not, in a word, here's the sermon in a word, we're not to be judgmental. Not to be judgmental the way we... We uh, uh, appear to other people the way we think about other the people and those around us. Rather than being judgmental, we should treat others with a gracious, loving, and forgiving spirit. The way that Jesus treated others. Have you noticed that in the text? If anybody could have pulled out a two-by-four and whacked people over the head, 
Don't you think it should have been the Creator? What's that? Come here, a whack. You know? Well, I never see it. The only time that he's ruthless is when he deals with the false religious leaders who were parading around in their hypocrisy, leading people to hell. He had his, his words of woe and his words of condemnation, but not for any others. Grossest of sinners. He's merciful, he's kind, he's giving, and he's forgiving. And in a word, if you got that, you can leave now. That's the whole sermon. That's it. Now everyone's going to wonder who's going to head towards the door. Right? That's it. Gracious, loving, and kind. And not only the way we treat people, but the way we think about those around us. For how we think about people is going to come out in our attitude, in our tone, in the things we do or don't do. Never forget the pit from where you were dug. Never. You are a sinner saved by grace. If you're saved. Now here's the thing though. Do you know that you're sustained by grace too? You are. You say, well I was saved and my sins were all cared for back then. Uh, that's true, I trust. But you are sustained moment by moment, day by day. And so when we circulate our, uh, um, among uh, Hostile people that hate Christ, hate his gospel, live like pigs, talk like garbage cans. Don't, don't you look down. Don't forget. Don't forget where you came from. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, there are three warnings in our passage helping us to avoid having a judgmental attitude with others. If you refuse to do this, if you say, well, I'm not doing that, then you have forgotten where you came from, in a word. Look, look at our text in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. Jesus is speaking, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, the metron, meter, the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You also told this parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck or the dust from your brother's eye. Do not judge. Well, three warnings in this brief passage. The first warning, Jesus warns us that we will be judged by the same standard that we use when we judge others and how we deal with others, verses 37 through 38. In the strongest of words, Jesus condemns us. He, he commands us, I mean, not to judge others. And he draws a contrast between two different attitudes of the heart in 30, 37 into 38. He's talking, I remind you, to his disciples. He's not talking here to the Pharisees or unbelievers. He's talking to his own. And the first attitude of the heart is that of judging and condemning. And many are quick to criticize. And that's so many are. And we're talking about Christians. Sometimes the, the worst critics, the harshest critics of people are found in the pews of the church. It should never be that way. It should never be that way. You know, maybe that's revealed when you ask people, why, why is it that you don't go to church? And they'll say, well, I don't feel good enough. Now, that should never be the case, ever. I mean, if there's any place that uh, sinners ought to feel at home, it's right here. And go, right? Right here. Okay, when they hear the Word of God, and they hear it, and they feel the conviction of sin, it is a little uncomfortable, but they ought to be among sinners that know that they have been wonderfully pardoned and redeemed and feel at home and welcomed. 
and not a parading around like we're some sort of society's policemen. Don't do this. Don't do that. What's the matter with you? Are you a reprobate? This like this. Please don't do that. If you do it, don't tell them you're a Christian. Don't tell them you're from grace. Please. You know, you undo the work, okay? And we ought to be the most gentle, loving, compassionate, forgiving as we draw close. Jim mentioned it earlier. If we're going to have impact on the city or impact on people, you can't do it far away. You got to get close. It means intentional relationships with people that are lost. And you know, their lives are messy. Did you know that? Some of your lives are still messy. They ought to be where they ought to be, and they're not quite, right? And it means you've got to be close. Faith and I intentionally reach out to certain people. We had dinner a few weeks ago. With I, I, if, I, if I would chose socially, who would you want to go? Would, would not have made the list, but we want to spend a meal to get close. Why? He's lost and needs Christ. There are others in our neighborhood that, that need Christ. And they, they have different lifestyles and values and all that. It's kind of yucky and, you know, you want to kind of hold your nose and get close. And that, but you don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because I'm a sinner. God is wonderfully saved. I couldn't even name and count the numbers of sins that God has cleansed me and washed me of. Can you? Can you count them? No way. Don't forget where you came from. It's not Jamestown, New York, but you came from somewhere and you were lost, and God moved close and saved you. And we ought to be like one bug, uh, booger, no, one beggar uh, telling another beggar where to find food. Forget the first thing there. Mark, Mark prayed that way Wednesday night. And that's right. That's exactly right. Hey, you can, you can eat at grace. We serve up the Word of God. It's like the Puritans. All we need is a box and a book. That's it. And the assembly gathers, and, and let's hear the word of God. That ought to be our attitude. All right? That's, with one hand, you hold on to the oracle of God. With the other hand, you reach out. Save some from the fire. All right? You might get your hands singed, but it's worth it. It is. It is. Don't forget the pit from where you were dug. This attitude of judging and condemning is out. We are not society's policemen. You're not to do it here. And if you do it here, the elders are going to make a phone call. We're going to, we're going to be careful about that. That carping, critical spirit that's a part of that old bent, it's out. Rather, here's the second mindset, is the attitude of giving and forgiving. That's what God blesses. We forgive those around, we release, and we do more, we give. We give. We do more than just release. We're kind, and we look out for them. Give others room to grow. That's what Jesus is warning us and by the same standard. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. The same standard you used is going to come back to you. We'll talk about that, what that means in a moment. Well, be. Well, what, let's note what it doesn't mean, this uh, do not judge. Well, it doesn't mean, number one, that we are to avoid making spiritual discernment or discrimination. Please don't do that. You're, you know, please don't do that. We, we are to test all things by the Word of God. Test the spirits in 1 John 4.1. Don't be naive. Be alert to all the evil that's around us. Say, what evil? I don't see any evil. Open your eyes. It's everywhere. And good and evil are not equal. So we are to be discerning, wise, like serpents, innocent like doves as we live in this world that's no friend of grace. One of the great illustrations I heard at the conference in Philadelphia was, uh, was the reality that there are two people in the world. It's the old uh, analogy of the people of God and the people of the world, the, the tale of two cities. Uh, in that uh, we live as a church. Do you know that? We live as a, as a body of believers in, uh, in hostile territory. And God takes uh, behind enemy lines, as it were, and he, he plants a body of believers in uh, enemy soil. Uh, you know, it's not as clear when you have uh, terrorism and all that. Where are the boundaries? Where's the front line? And, and all that kind of thing. 
But in reality, for the Christian, the whole world is uh, under the, the God who is Satan for a temporary being. Evil proliferates, and God plants his churches. And so don't be naive. There's danger. There's evil. It's in the media. It's in the news. It's, uh, it's, it's all around us. So he's not saying, well, don't, don't be undiscriminating. Be aware. Be alert. Be wise. Test all things. Be alert to what's around us. Dads do that in your home, and your marriages, and, and moms do that, and each one of us do that as we make our, the, the trek. You know, eat the meat and spit the bones out. You know, you sit in some classrooms and they're antithetical to the Bible. You know, you have to take it. You got to get your card punched. You got to pass it. Don't ever feel it's your mission to tell everyone you know about everything. Don't do that. Don't do that. I've sat in some classrooms where. You know, I, it was offensive to me. I remember business school in Buffalo after we were married. I took classes, and it, it, was, it was offensive in a lot of ways in and, and some, some of the classes and, and things I took. And uh, I just wrote some kind notes on the teacher's evaluation at the end. And uh, I was surprised that the, uh, the instructor actually asked forgiveness at the, the final gathering there of, I obviously have offended you with some of my dirty jokes and some of this and that and every other thing, my crude language, and so I'm sorry about that. So you just live wisely. We're in foreign territory here. Don't, don't, don't be ignorant of that. Well, it doesn't mean that. Don't avoid that. We're to be discerning. We live behind enemy lines. Uh, this uh, world's no friend of grace. Second, it doesn't mean that a church should avoid church discipline. Say, so, well, judge not. Therefore, you know, you can never, never urge the body on the sanctification. No, we need each other. Sometimes we, we'll wander away, and you need people that will go after you and say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And that's a serious role that the elders play here. Why? We look after your soul. That's what. And we do that with, with uh, humility and brokenness and contrition. Never with joy. Hey, hey we're going to get them. No way. It's brokenness. It's with tears and with prayer. You know, that's, the, that's one of the great values of church membership, you know, is that we look after each other. And, and, and you know, you, you don't run your family without discipline, do you? Say, well, we just love each, each other and our kids, and, you know, we just, we just never correct them, and they don't ever need discipline. Just right over that one, disaster waiting to happen. That is a disaster. And I, you know what? I've noticed a lot of families like that around. Have you noticed them at the mall? Holy cow. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, I mean, and they're only two. Wait till they're, you know, 22. You know, they'll be shooting dad or something. I don't, I don't know. Never tell your kids no. No. Discipline is important, isn't it? We, we ran our family that way, and it has to be. Has to be. In a church because we love one another, has to look out for each other that way. So he's not talking about that either. Third, he, he does not mean that believers should never evaluate or criticize anyone for anything. He's not talking about that. The attitude of the world is live and let live. It's one of the few uh, moral ethical ethics of our day, right? Live and let live. Tolerance. Just let everybody just hang it all out. Everybody just do, do whatever you want. You know, like, hey, that, hey if that's good for you. You know, they're, they're on this great parade headed toward hell and the lake of fire. Oh, that's okay. You know, every man just does what's right in their own eyes. I'm not going to judge you. That's not what he's talking about. It doesn't mean there's never a place to step close with humility and brokenness to say, have you thought about this? Have you considered what God thinks? You see? There is right, and there is wrong. It will always be right, and wrong will always be wrong. Truth is, ends in a person. It's Christ. And so he's not saying that either. Many people will say this. I, I heard this verse so much when I was growing up. Judge not, judge not, judge not. And the inference was wrongly implied. Somehow I'm not supposed to make any sort of value judgment on something that's wrong when it's right in my face. You see, if, if, if not, then good and evil are equal. You know, it doesn't matter. We're like Hindus then. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. There's really no difference. He's not saying that. 
He's not saying that. He's not saying that. Why? In the next section here, in verses 43 and following, he talks about good fruit and that which is not good fruit. Well, you have to make a discernment. You have to decide, is that fruit? A good, no, no good tree bears bad fruit. Well, what's bad fruit? You've got to be discerning. You've got to make an evaluation. Is this good or is that not good? So that's not what he's calling us for. So let's be careful about that. The, the rest of the whole Bible makes it clear that judge not is not a prohibition against any and every form of judgment. It is not. Jesus is mostly concerned about the attitudes of the heart about the way you look at life and others around you and the way that I do. We are not to treat people unfairly or harshly in the court of our opinion in the way that we treat them. Live and let live, don't judge, no. Never make any moral judgments, no. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he meant. Well, see, Jesus uses the word judge here, and he means to render a self-righteous... Sounds like the Pharisees done it. They were righteous, parading around. A self-righteous, often hasty. Boy, we're quick on the draw, aren't we? Snap judgment. I saw it. Yeah, that's the way it is. No, it isn't. Not always. Unmerciful, that means unkind, attitude in condemning others. The whole process really exalts yourself. You feel better about yourself, morally superior or something while we disparage others. That's really what he's talking about here, this attitude. We must, number one, we must not be judgmental. Must not be. If we do, we have forgot the pit from wherein we have been dug. Mm. Let me just go, go, go give an, an aside here. One thing that grieves my heart is, uh, is this church in Kansas, and I don't even know the name of it. I don't even know the town. I don't even know the pastor. But it's so grievous to me and hurtful to the gospel of Jesus that uh, he would rally his people to go to the funeral services of men and women who died honorably. And in the name of Jesus, protest their death, like down in York, Pennsylvania, and parade around as if uh, they died and the judgment is on America because of certain lifestyle sins and all of that. That's a travesty. It's no wonder people treat them like the bubonic plague. And people look at them and go, like, what is the matter with those people? I don't know what you're peddling, but I don't even want anything near it. And it's, it's a shame. It's misguided, and it's twisted. Now, I, th I think the theology is probably right. I'll tell you this. I think it is. You read the Scriptures, and, and uh, the nations that forget God will be cast into the sea, and it happens bit by bit by bit by bit, almost imperceptibly slow. Sort of like what we feel in the United States with the standard of living and the issues. Have you noticed? There seems to be an issue of the week. It's this uh, calamity. It's this disaster. It's this over here. It almost sounds like judges, you know, the people that turn their back on the Lord and run into sin. The, the Lord uh, is not mocked. And uh, he'll get a, his attention. And we have received as a people so much of inheritance a spiritual inheritance, and to turn our back and to run headlong into gross sin of any and all kinds. Okay, God says, I'll get your attention. And now we have an oil spill, and what a terrible thing down in the Gulf. And we've got battles going on in a couple wars. We pray for our men and women in uniform, for John. Every single day we pray for him. But we, we've got, uh, you know, there was, they found a bomb that didn't explode in New York City yesterday. And it's just like, okay, what's happening next? Don't you, don't you wonder about that? You know, he who has an eye to see, see, kind of see. And we, and we don't know infallibly all these things, but it's like, wow. And, you know, a year ago, almost the banks all froze up. And, and we go like, wow, what's happening? And in the borders, and, and now this and that, and it's crazy land. 
my father's been gone a lot of years, but if we bring him back, and, and my father would hardly recognize uh, these United States. And how quickly, right? How quickly, how quickly it's headed south. I'll tell you, we must be careful. We must not be judgmental. We must not. Why, why must not? Well, i give you a couple of reasons. You can never know a person's heart. Don't ever pretend that you can know a person's heart. I think motives, one of the big uh, things that the Lord's getting here. Do not judge. Do not be condemning, talking to his disciples. You don't know a person's motive. You know, it's so difficult in our sinful bend. We hardly know our own motives. Even the good can be twisted with something of the flesh. And so don't, don't parade and pretend that you know other people's motives. I know why you did that. You don't know why they did that. You have a hunch, maybe, but you, you don't know why they Be careful with that. Be careful. You don't know the motives. You can't. Only God knows the motives of the heart. And oftentimes, our judgment is upside down, isn't it? We, we make so much, uh, uh, so much of the little sins of others while neglecting our own, or we'll minimize our own, you know, we'll minimize it. Well, I, I don't look at pornography that much, o- only once a week. Oh? Oh? Well, isn't that fornicating? Isn't that lasciviousness, the old English word? Isn't that adultery? Well, you know, uh, I, I uh, okay, yes, I know I have a temper, but I never hit anybody. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, well, good for you. I never punched them out, but you just let it go, and you're just screaming and yelling. What do you think the Lord thinks of that? Or on and on and on we could go, right? We, we tend to overemphasize the sins of others, and we go easy on ourselves. You know, the, the, we, we've said it for years. The tenor of the Scripture is always be ruthless with yourself. Take your old nature to the woodshed and beat the tar out of that thing on your knees in prayer, asking the Lord to search your heart and to root out of your sin and the bent of sin and the old habit of sin and then treat others very gently, kindly. We tend to do the opposite, don't we? We baby ourselves, we pamper ourselves. I'm pretty good, you know, like this kind of... And where he's in, oh, there it is! And we magnify it in others. And we're guilty of this very thing. It's upside down. We turn it upside down. And the Lord is not pleased. Do not judge. Do not have that attitude, that perspective. You are to be forgiving and giving and remember the pit from wherein you were dug. Never forget it. Never get over it. We are to be generous by giving and forgiving like Jesus. Like Jesus. Rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. That means kindness. That means you you don't give people what they deserve. You hold back. And in fact, you treat them kindly. That's the Lord all the way through the Gospels. That's God. That's the way God treats us. Listen, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be walking the streets saying, yeah, I really deserve to be here. (laughs) Yeah, you won't ever say that. You'll be absolutely amazed. You'll be like, ah. This is unbelievable. Look at this. <laughs> I, I, I deserve. Yeah, you, you, we all do. It's all because of Christ. Never forget that. You can be saved many years and have a tendency to forget that and get a hard heart. Say, I'm not going to be taken again. I've been hurt again. And you can shut down. Don't do that. Be kind, be generous, be rich in mercy. Rich. Well, D, what's the motivation? Here's the point of the warning. D, the motivation for this is knowing that we'll be treated just as we treat others, both in this life and with people, most of the time anyway, and with the Lord. The text, uh, the, the, the old writers wrote, he is generous. God is generous to those who are generous. That's the idea of his example here, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Uh, it will be poured into your lap, pressed down. I mean, uh, that's like filling a bushel basket. I remember when I was a kid, we, we were uh, doing some work in the yard. We had to put some French wells in because it was leaking in the basement. 
And uh, we had to do it the old manual way. Uh, it was tight neighborhood, houses tight, and, and, uh, and dad, dad had some boys, so why pay anybody to do this? So we did the back-breaking work of digging the trenches down five feet all the way around the house. And how did he get the dirt out? We put it in, uh, in bushel baskets. We'd fill these things up, and my father would go, well, that's not full yet. What do you mean it's not full? He'd take the thing and start bouncing it, and the thing would actually settle down. You could actually get in another quarter worth of dirt and stone into that thing. Let's fill that thing up. Uh, less trips, you know. Press down. That's the idea, but with grain, that when we're kind and generous and merciful with people, gross sinners around us intentionally connecting and wooing them and wanting them to be saved and, and not harsh and judgmental, God says, I'll be generous with you. It'll be full to overflowing if you forgive and give. It'll be like, great, I'll push it down, it'll be filled up, and it'll be full, and, and the word, in the, it'll come all over you, in fact. God is generous to those who are generous. Generous. And it's true with people, isn't it? Not all the time. Sometimes kind-hearted, a kind-hearted lady can get run over. But oftentimes, people that get to know a kind-hearted, return that in kind, don't they? And if they're harsh, people are pretty harsh with the harsh. Sort of goes that way. Isn't there an expression in our world, what goes around comes around? There's a reason why there's an expression like that. And that's what he's saying. And both in this life, not always, but it can happen. People will treat you that way if you're kind and, and merciful and generous and giving. People will return that, not always, but, so, but God will in this life, but even more so in the life to come. If you're harsh and brutal with people, and you know Christ, that there will be a tone of that of Jesus to you at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what he's saying. When God reviews your life, you were, you, were, you were an embarrassment to me. I wanted you to win that man or woman to Christ and disciple them, and you treated them like they were dirt and beyond the, the grace of God. That's what the Pharisees did, you know. They, they considered some sinners beyond God's reach. And that they were somehow, you know, special, holier, that God had saved them. God, God did himself a favor in saving them. And, and the Lord is saying here both uh, now God will bless that, he blesses that, he's generous to them, and he'll be generous to you at the judgment seat of Christ. Or the reverse of that. And so it's motivational, isn't it? It's motivational. Motivational for us to be kind and forgiving and merciful to, to people. Now, I, I want to show you a parable by way of illustration. They say one of the best illustrations is use the Bible itself. Look at Matthew 18. The Lord tells a story, and most of you are familiar with it, but I just want to remind you of it. Because it could be you in the picture here, and me. And me. If we're not careful, in Matthew 18, verse 21, it's the parable of the unmerciful servant. Remember that? <clears throat> uh, the Lord tells a story here in verse 23, Therefore the, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. Let me stop here. That's an unpayable amount. You, you could never pay that if you worked all your lifetime and you gave all the money. You could never pay it. He's going to say that that's you and that's me as sinners who have, have a debt that we could never pay. But he's going to use money as the parallel. Uh, this, this man owed 10,000 talents. He was brought to the king since he was not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. Let me stop here. You know, uh, uh, sinners in hell will never pay the debt. There's no purgatory. In hell, they won't say, okay, you're done. It's a 10,000 years you've paid it. No. But God will extract from men and women who reject Christ what they can pay. And that will be with their life throughout all eternity. And so he orders them here to be thrown into jail. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master, here it is, took pity, that's mercy, on him. 
and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. That's like us in Christ. But when that servant went out, so here we go, now we're saved, he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. You know what that is? That's pocket change. That's a little bit of, you know, like, you got, a, you got, you got ten bucks? That's pocket change. The servant owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, he began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And the fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. He forgot the pit from where he was dug. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants and people see your life and mind, you know that? And when the others saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. That, that is a perfect parallel to what Jesus is saying here. We are to be merciful and generous with those around us and treat them so. Well, there's a second warning. The second warning in verses 39 through 40 is Jesus warns of the spiritual, uh, of the pitfalls of spiritual blindness. Quickly, now in 39, he also told them this parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Remember, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Here, Jesus is uh, teaching about the judgmental attitude and Jesus is really contrasting in the midst of this uh, little paragraph uh, uh, his teaching from that of the Pharisees that were teaching the people. A, Jesus is censoring the attitude displayed by the Pharisees in the parable of Matthew 18, 11 through 14. Remember that, where the Pharisees were at the temple? And he thanks God that he wasn't like the sinners over there? And then the merciful the, 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 the one sinner didn't even raise his eyes up to the Lord, and, and he prayed, Lord Jesus, or God be merciful unto me, a sinner. And uh, that attitude, and that's what Jesus is dealing with here, which what the people were taught by the Pharisees. One, the religious leaders were blind guides, leading the people to destruction. They were spiritually proud, strutting around. They were the separatists. They opposed Jesus. He wasn't their kind. Jesus said, don't be like that. Don't, don't follow their teaching. They are blind guides. He says it clearly in Matthew 23. We don't have time to look at that. But they are blind guides. Every time I go to Israel and to Egypt and, and to uh, various other places, we hire a guide. Uh, the state of Israel requires it. If you have a, a touring group, you have to have a state license guide. And uh, it's so much fun. We've, uh, some of you have been there with us, and we've been able to go to the various sites and, and uh, to see this and that. And It's quite safe. You wouldn't think so. If Once we get out of New York City, it's safe. <laughs> That's the most dangerous part of the trip. But, uh, you know, you go to the Garden Tomb and you go to, the, you go to Galilee or Tiberias or you go to Nazareth or you go up Caesarea Philippi or you crawl through the pyramids there in, in uh, Giza. You know, we have a guide that leads us and they give us the history and the story and uh, ancient and modern. And, and it's so helpful, it really is, to make our way through, uh, through, the, uh, through the tour and through the trip. Blind guides. You know, there are a lot of places and churches today that the absolute blindness from the pulpits. You know, they, folks that don't know Christ and, and yet not really sure maybe why they're in the clergy, as they say. They, they don't know Christ. They don't know his gospel. They don't know redemption. 
and they're leading those people, and the churches seem to empty bit by bit. They end up closing their eyes in death, and they end up in the pit, in destruction, disaster. And maybe uh, you're even thinking of some churches of yesteryear that you knew of, churches that once stood for the gospel and for Christ. You say, what happened? It was a leadership thing. The people refused the Bible. The guides closed their eyes. Maybe it was the seminaries that, that taught them higher criticism or something that, that uh, they took the gold out of heaven and the fire out of hell and they lost the message. They lost their Bible. And even in small groups, you know, a lot of times there's a, small groups and teachers. Make sure, make sure. It's a, it's a warning. It's a warning. It hits us in two ways. In our learning, make sure that you seek the very best teachers that are not blind, that know the Lord, and are following Him. Make sure that in small group and in large. Critically important for you and your loved ones. But more than that, we're all teachers. You know, Mama teaches her children. I see that in the life of my daughter. She is training up and in, in, in feeding our little granddaughters the Word of God so much every day, hiding it in their heart and teaching them the Scriptures. Our little Taylor, we're so thankful for her at three years old, already knows portions of the Word of God by memory. By memory. Little Harper was crying the, uh, the other day, and Sarah said she heard Taylor was in a room, and uh, she heard the little Taylor's uh, Taylor's three say the Harper, who's one and a half now, don't worry, Harper, God is our superhero. And she heard it on the uh, on the intercom up to the down into the kitchen, you know. And uh, she 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 knows uh, spiritually tuned, and it's just amazing. We we downplay what children can learn. Listen, your teachers. Husbands, you're teachers. You're teaching your family, your grandchildren. You, we're all teachers to someone. Mom, what a role, what a critical role that is. And you're right, you know, being a mom and, 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 and influence and teaching a, your children is so very, very important. Downplayed in our day, downplayed. The hand that rocks the cradle rocks the world. And how about for Christ? And so it's very important that if we are a teacher, then to make sure, make sure that we, we teach that what we know and it's alive and well in our own life. For you can't teach that what you don't know. And the Pharisees were teaching this spiritual pride. But Jesus said, they're blind. Do not follow them. Follow me. Follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. So, so be careful. Be. Verse 40. For if we follow the wrong leader, we're going to end up falling into a ditch. That's disaster. We need to follow Jesus and those leaders who follow him who are sensitive, who know where they're going. You know, for the children, blind man's bluff may be a fun game. But uh, I'll tell you this, it's dangerous if you play it for keeps. Blind man's bluff, spiritually speaking. Be careful about that. He warns about the pitfalls of spiritual blindness. And finally, the third and last warning, verses 41 to 42, Jesus warns about the danger of having a bad spiritual eyesight. This humorous illustration by Jesus is well known by many both inside and outside of the church. It really shows us something about the teaching of Jesus. It's, I mean, it's so far out there, it's almost laughable. But uh, in using this exaggerated uh, uh, com comedic uh, uh, example, if you will, uh, it, it lodged deeply into our hearts and memory, uh, this, this whole thing. Let me, let me reread it for you again in 41. Uh, here he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? Well, this humorous illustration... This uh, he has here is the critic is trying to move desperately a piece of dust out of his friend's eye. All the while he has this a major protruding construction beam coming out of his eyeball. I mean, it's a major beam. It would be like a major steel beam, if you will. Can you imagine? Can you see this? 
Here he is, he's got this thing here, and he's trying to pull this little dust of something out of his friend's eye, and, and it's a disaster. This comedic exaggeration, that's what it is, it's hyperbole. He, Jesus uses it to make a point. You see, the problem is, is that it's not that the person can't see it all, that's not it. It's that he cannot see as well as he thinks he can. He thinks he has 20-20 vision, but he doesn't. He's forgotten the pit from wherein he's dug. He's got his whole uh, bag of enormous sinful problems, and he has forgotten who he is. You see, we must be slow in trying to straighten out other people. Slow, ruthless with ourselves, extremely gentle with others. A beam protruding from his eyeball. So it reminds me of like the, uh, the little uh, lettering that was uh, on one of my minivans years, years back on the rear view mirror. Or on the, it was on the side mirror. Objects are larger than they appear. And uh, be careful about that. Uh, in, in your life and mine, as we see sin around us, don't forget the sin that's in your own heart and life and deal with that first. We must examine our own hearts, remembering that we are saved and sustained by God's grace. As a boy, it uh, was on more than one occasion uh, due to sandbox uh, playing that I went to the uh, emergency room. Uh, on one occasion, I was in Brian Brzezinski's backyard. My children often wonder how I remember their names. But I, I do. I remember all my teachers' names in elementary school all the way through, and, and they're dazzled by that. I, I don't know if I had the fear of God in me because they represented my father. He always said, they work for me, kind of a thing. And if you mess up, you're in trouble. So I always it burned into my heart. But Brian Brzezinski, uh, we got a little squabble there, and sand went flying, and sooner... Sooner or later, I had it all in my eyes. Now, you'd be glad to know Brian Brzezinski is a brain neurosurgeon today in Seattle. <laughs> Amazing. He was a brilliant guy. And I don't remember who did what to what, but he got some and I got some, and, and I got carted off to the ER and, and used the Q-tips and something else and four people to hold you down in there. And that happened more than once. Maybe that never happened to you. Sand in the eye. Sand in the eye. I'm thankful I didn't have a beam protruding, physical beam. Sometimes it feels like a beam, doesn't it? You get something in your eye like that. Man, Doc, have you, you often get things out of people's eyes. Yeah, yeah, that happens. It really, 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 be careful about that. Be careful about that. Well, a couple of things that people say about that. Let me, let me before we go into closing lessons for life, one man writes, stand under God's judgment of your life and you'll be able to see clearly to deal sensitively with the sins and failures of others. Say, there but for the grace of God, go oh, I. That's the right attitude, isn't it? We, we have, another man writes, we have a fatal tendency, we do, to exaggerate the faults of others and to minimize the seriousness of our own. Oh, mine's not that bad. Mine's not that bad, Right? We have a rosy view of ourselves and a rather jaundiced view of others. It shouldn't be that way. Do you know that critics are often moved by envy, jealousy, and selfishness? Be careful about that. Be careful. The fact that God is judge teaches us to be gentle and merciful with others. You are not the judge. Don't, don't bear that mantle. Don't do it. Don't. Now, if we have to, in, in times from time, we, we do humbly, after searching your own heart, approach people. You know, when we see things that are not quite right, and there is a place to do that. You know, if someone's house is burning down, you, you want to yell fire. And so you approach them humbly with contrition. Hopefully you're wrong. And maybe ask a question. Do I see that? Maybe I see it wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But let me tell you what I see. Is this true? And you approach people humbly. Remember Galatians 6.1. That's how we do it. Gently. 
Not forgetting the pit from where we, we've been dug. Sinners saved by grace. And if we have the right mindset, if we've, we've examined our own heart, Lord, make sure my motive's right, then I'm not envious or jealous of them. I'm going to hit them with a hammer now. But gently reaching out, and you know, that'll come through. Your gentleness, the love of Christ will come through. And that's what needs to happen in our homes, in our offices, our neighborhoods, in school, and on our teams, and our families extended. It needs to be that way needs to be that way. And finally, R.C. says, meddling with their picadillos while failing to deal with our own, with our, our own more serious faults is a grievous sin. Well, lessons for our life. Number one, what can we say? Lessons for our life. Jesus calls us to have a gracious, loving, and forgiving attitude toward all others. Even the worst of sinners, that you would say, well, that's really. No, Paul was the worst of sinners. You know that? He said, I was the worst. God saved me. Look what he did. Be gracious and gentle, not critical, not condemning. But for the grace of God, that could be you. Permeate, meditate on that. Let it affect and change the way you think and live and the way you handle people and talk with people and share with people and associate with people. And you know what? If you do that, you, God will use you to reach people. It'll be so unlike so the, the world and the world's ways. They'll go like, I can't, I don't know how he ticks. I heard a story yesterday. We went over to Jersey to visit Faithy's cousin, uh, our, her, her cousin Tim Schieber, pastor who died last year, six months ago he died. He was just turned, he was 49, right? 48, he had bladder cancer, and he died over a couple years with that. And we wanted to, after the conference, go over and have a meal and encourage them and pray with them and uh, to see how Natalie's doing, you know. She's, they still have a sixth grader at home. And she was telling about her work and, and how crude the place is, you know, and, 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 and caustic at points. And, and she said, you know, there was one of them, I knew it was his birthday. And she said, I thought, and I like making cakes. So she said, I, I'm going to bake him a cake. And he came in, as she came in the next day, it was his birthday, and had a cake for him. And... Uh, the man who was so crude and so perverse said to, was so broken and said to Natalie, you know, in all my life, and imagine this, no one ever baked me a cake for my birthday. Can, you know, you want to say, didn't you have a mother? No one ever baked a cake. And she said, the man has changed dramatically by giving and forgiving and reaching out. She could have been offended. Oh, he's, you know, he swears, he's crude, he tells, and just like this, you know? Like, we, we want to do that. It's nauseating at points, right? But with one hand, we hold on to the oracle of God. The other hand, with gracious, merciful attitude, we draw them close. Do you notice Jesus didn't stay in Nazareth and say, hey, anyone who want to see the Son of God, come visit me. Come here. Here I am, creator, redeemer. He went after them. No, I have many more people. I've got to keep going here. He is connecting, reaching, merciful, tender, kind-hearted. That needs to be the mark of Grace Church. And you can help by each one of us practicing. Lord, search my heart. Root out of me judgmental spirit. Make me tender, merciful. Let me remember the Jamestown that I came from. That's what we say, right? Number two. Number two, the way we think and treat others demonstrates the mercy that we have received in Jesus. If you treat people harshly, you've forgotten, and maybe you're not saved. You know, we're to examine our hearts. You can just run over people and just be crude and just use them for what you can get out of them. That's not the spirit of Jesus. I got news for you. I can't tell you. You have to, before the Lord, whether you're redeemed or not, the way you think and treat of others. Jesus came one day into Jerusalem before his 
for before Mount Calvary, and he wept. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you. He wept. I'm challenged by that. Lord, when's the last time that I so loved people and had the compassion of Christ and the mirth that I wept for lost people? And I confess, you know, my heart is not where it ought to be always on that. I'd rather avoid. Well, let's avoid. That's not Jesus. I must needs go through Samaria. He had a, an appointment there with a woman of ill repute. Oh, I wish our church would be like that. I want our church to be like that. Sinners welcomed here. This is not a country club. This is not politics. This is not government. This is the redeemed of the Lord, the assembly. And it demonstrates the mercy we receive. Number three, remember no one is beyond God's reach. No one. Don't write people off. Did anyone ever write you off? Oh, that kid, he'll never be saved. People thought that about me. I had so much energy. That guy, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. Right? You know, I discovered God loves uh, the active ones. I love active youth. I do. I love it. They're all over the place. They're, and, and, and I remember in, in, in college, the, uh, it was the active guys in this Bible college that were throwing guys through the wall, smashing stuff on Friday night, you know, like there wasn't enough to do. They were just filled with testosterone. You know, like they wanted to do something, go somewhere, be something. You know what? A lot of times, those are the guys that once they got out there, really moved out for Christ. They had all this energy. They just need to have it focused. And God used them. He uses the guys that are real studious and go to the library and sit there and read all the time. I'm glad for those guys. They, they write the books to help the rest of us, you know. But, uh, but uh, you know, you can, you can direct a moving car. Action, activity, rambunctious, you know. Someday we live in a day like, uh, you know, in the, we see it in the public school rooms, right? Let's sedate all the boys. They're supposed to sit there like little girls. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Sitting in nice, neat rows. Feet on the floor, then like that. I got news for you. Boys are not made that way. I don't know whoever thought of that, but that is not a male idea. It isn't. That's why most guys go, i got to get out of here for summer, you know. And the threat of summer school scares the daylights out of us. You know, like, please, please. And now they're cutting back on release time. Did you see that? What in the world is that? Got a couple lawsuits in. Okay, can't let the kids outside anymore. No, that activity, that action, got to go for it. Look, no one is beyond God's reach. Nobody, nobody. Don't write people off. Don't write them off. That's what the Pharisees did. And they're lousing teaching as blind guides. They were holy, and that sinner was not. That's why they hated Jesus, because he, he, he fellowshiped and ate with sinners. When's the last time you did that? How about this summer? You, you invite some folks in around the neighborhood that don't know Christ, just to get to know them. I love that Sarah and Greg had a neighborhood party down there. Uh, just a hot dog thing. They just wanted all the neighbors to come over. You know, don't, don't hit them with the gospel. They say, well, i got to dump on Don't please, don't do that. Just win their friendship and, uh, and love them. You know, it's so unusual. And God will give you plenty of opportunities. And they say, well, wow, how is it you tick? How about the summer you do that? Cook some little weenies on the roaster in the back and have them over and have some baked beans and just say, hey, how you doing? Well, what's happening in your life? We need to circulate more and do that. Number four. Number four, quickly here, before talking, before talking to another about their sin, here's a warning. Before you would talk to another about their sin, and there's a place and a time, as I indicated, for that. Spend time on your face dealing with your own sin. Make sure your heart is ex examined. There's a brokenness. There's a gentleness. There's a kindness. And you may be wrong. I say that to you. I've approached people and caught up with folks, and I said, I hope I'm wrong. But this is what I see. And you know what? Sometimes I've been wrong. I was so happy, you know? Ever been happy that you're wrong? Oh, I added that one up wrong. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. But sometimes they go, you know, Pastor, you're right. Thank you 
for loving me enough to catch up to me. And so we, 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 we want to pray. We want to help. We want to restore you. And sometimes people are still running. We need to pray for them. Number five and last, and we'll be done. Perhaps God has not yet saved you. Maybe just maybe you're here and you're not saved. I urge you to call out to him today. He is the judge. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved from your sin. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my God. Well, judge not. Judge not. Well, that's an expression the world knows, don't they? Judge not. They don't know where it's found. I said that Wednesday. Mark said, well, that's why Catholic guys on Monday night. Where's that found? Where's that found? I don't know. It's in there. It's in there. They don't know. It. They, they've heard tell that it's in the Bible. Judge not. The world will say that to you. What Jesus is saying, don't have a judgmental spirit. Don't forget the pit you've been dug. Don't forget. Don't forget. Be humble. Be gentle. Be merciful. Be loving. Reach them. Reach them. Judge not. Shall we stand and be dismissed with prayer? Father, thank you so much. For